Hey, well, Andy, why don't you come on up? And as Andy comes up, I'm just going to give a quick introduction on who he is. So most of you probably know who Andy is. So on three, say, hi, Andy. One, two, three. So he uh, has been for the last uh, five and a half years, our next gen director overseer at our district office in Langley for BC Yukon District. Uh, Prior to that, he was a youth pastor in West Kelowna. Prior to that, he was a youth pastor in Richmond. Prior to that, while at school here, in Kim's in my sophomore year, Andy, was this my freshman year, your sophomore year? Did you guys go to school together? Anyways, my freshman year then, my freshman year, Andy was my student body president here at Summit. Yeah. So as a freshman student looking up to this guy then, have been able to as a youth pastor for years at Richmond in West Kelowna while I was in Chilliwack, and then somewhat within these last couple of years as positions as pastoring pastors, having the opportunity that Kim and I do to pastor future pastors. It's been amazing to walk alongside this guy. And so what I want to give you an encouragement is he's going to share into this morning. Uh, look at who you're close with now, who's in your classes now, who God's called you and your classmates and your roommates to what you're going to be doing in the future later. What great potential and opportunity. Not that there's much that we truly have to offer, but through Jesus, man, we have a lot to offer. Uh, and so do you guys. And so uh, I hope you are encouraged and inspired by his, uh, his story this morning and his challenge that he's going to give you. So bless you, buddy. Love you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Pastor Gavin and Kim. Um, like I said, my name, or like Pastor Gavin said, my name is Andy, and I've been a youth pastor for 17 years. And I've uh, been loving youth ministry. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're turning to Philippians chapter 3. And I just want to encourage you today. I have nothing really special to say other than just what God wants to say today to you. Um, so I have a $5 bill here. I want someone to test this. That This is actually a $5 bill. Can you just check this out? Just say, what's your name? Curtis. I trust you, Curtis. They might not trust you, but they, I trust you. Can you just say to me, is that a $5 bill? Okay, he says it seems legit. Now, what would, what would uh, this $5 bill be worth his $5, right? But what if I just say, you stupid, dumb, $5 bill. Curtis, how much is it worth? Five Still five bucks. What happens if I crumple it like this? I know, we're all college students. I'm a youth pastor, so we barely make any money, right? And I step on it, you know, I'm not going to spit on it. For your sake, Curtis, is it still worth five bucks? Yeah. Now, what would I do if I went to the cafe today and my bill came out to $7.50 and I said to the lady or the register, hey, here's $7.50. Thank you so much. I'm going to go eat right now. That person's going to look at me and say, hey, Andy, it's not $7.50. It is worth five. Here's the promise for today. There's people in this room And you have put your worth based on what people say about you. You put your worth based on the labels that people have put on you. You put your worth based on how people or how life or how you have treated yourself, how you think of yourself, and you have put your calling or your value based on what people have said. But it's still worth. Your life is still worth. There's other people in this room, and you put your worth based on who you are. I have the talents, Andy. I have the gifts, Andy. I have the skinny jeans. I have the good youth ministry. I have the mustache that is greasy and cheesy today. I'm going to win. You know, like, I'm worth more. 
But I want to encourage you today is this. Your calling in life is not based on your worth or unworthiness of how you see yourself. You are worthy because of the call, because of his worth. You're here today not because you're cool or awesome. You're not here today because you've been labeled bad. You're here today because God called you to him, to find your worth in him. The temptation for you and for me is to put our worth not in the Lord, but in our talents, abilities, our treasures, our skinny jeans, our mustaches, whatever it is. We put our value based on things that are not of value. I work with leaders all across the province. I work on a national context, and I see this all the time. This is nothing new with the disciples either. The disciples put their worth in a Jesus that was going to overtake Rome. They put their value in a Jesus that, hey, Jesus is my homeboy, and we're going to take over Rome, and I'm going to have all this power and prestige, and I'm just going to Netflix it. You know, like I'm just going to hang out with Jesus because that's what it's about. And they wrestled through it. They even had power struggles with each other. They put their worth in a Jesus that wasn't really necessarily Messiah, but this conqueror of Rome. Paul wrestled through this as well. Paul thought that his worth was to be a Pharisee of all Pharisees. That if he was around the great teachers like Pastor Paul, I'm going to pick on Paul and Mark Hawks, that they would be better in their calling. Paul put his work in that. He thought that his worth was to persecute the local church. He wrestled through his worth. Timothy, a young leader who was traveling with Paul, who also became the pastor of one of the most strategic churches in the New Testament, Ephesus, where most people say that the mother of Jesus, Mary and John, was part of that church. And there is explosive growth in the Ephesus church, this young leader who's wrestling with his calling, wrestling if he's worthy enough. And Paul continues to encourage him and say, you are worthy, not simply because of your calling, but you are called because of his worth. It's not based on your skills, talents, abilities. It's not based on what you think you're valued. It doesn't base on what you think you are. It's not based on what year you're going to be or what church you're going to be or where you're going to land. It has nothing to do with that because your worth is not based on your calling. Your calling is based on his worth. And so, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, starting in verse 7, it says this. This is a grieving church at this time. Paul's in prison. More likely, he's going to be martyred for his faith because he is saying to Caesar that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. He had everything going for him. And this one church, which is Philippi, was probably one of the most key influential churches that Paul worked with in regards to his missionary tours. And in fact, most people would say that the Philippi context is what fueled Paul to go around and do his missionary context. What's very interesting is when Paul's in prison is he actually writes most of his books of the New Testament because of prison. It's interesting that sometimes we go through difficult situations so that God is glorified, not us that we don't put our worth based on difficult situations, but put our worth based on the one who makes us worthy. And so he says to the Philippi church, but whatever I have gained in this life, I count it a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing 
Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Can everyone say all? Have you suffered all things for the sake of Christ? Maybe you're here and say yes. Maybe you're like, oh man, I never thought of that before. But this is an ongoing question we should ask every day. And count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness on my own that comes from the law or comes from humanity or comes from reputation or comes from education, comes from what we think we're worth or what church we serve or what church we don't serve. It doesn't matter if you come from small rural context or large urban context. It doesn't matter. It comes down to that, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings because like him in his death, that I may any means or all means that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Lord, I pray that these wouldn't just be words on a screen or in a book that we just learn or lecture about, but these words would be real to us, real to me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does this actually mean? How do we put our worth in the one who makes us worthy rather than calling? What does this actually look like? Well, this is why you're here, but I want to encourage you with this. That first of all, we're all called to love someone. That one is Christ. We are called to love God, that I may know him. It's obedience. It's not mystical. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on just an encounter or a Tay-Tay type of love. What I mean by that is Taylor Swift. Tay-Tay, my Fei-Fei. Taylor Swift sings songs about love, but let's just be very honest with ourselves that she sings songs more about heartbreak than love. Sorry, all you Tay-Tay fans. And then, you know, let's pick on Drake or let's pick on The Weeknd or everything like that. People start to understand that love, if it's heartbreak, then therefore I need to step away from that. And my love now is based on self-love. It's love that I get out of things. It's my own preference. It's all my own ability The weekend's really good at that. In other words, self-love is better than no love. But here, when we call to love God that I may know him, it's deeper than these preferences. It's death to my goals. It's death to my vision. It's death to my selfishness and pride. It's death for the call and the sake to know God. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I thought I was going to be a businessman. I wanted to make a million dollars by the age of 30, which means nothing in Vancouver. But in any context, I wanted to make all this money. That's what I thought my call was in life. I grew up in a family that put their worth in how much worth was in the bank, not on knowing Christ. See, obedience is more than just doing things for Christ. It's submitting to Christ. It's more than just coming to Bible college and saying, hey, I'm going to do all the right things to be called. No, that has nothing to do with it. You are called to the one who makes you worthy to submit. My question to you is where do you put your worth? Have you put it in you, in your calling? Have you put it in your gifts, your talents and abilities? Or have you put it in the one who's calling you? Have you said to yourself or to God, like, beyond myself, I'm dying to myself. I'm willing to let go of my visions and calls. The first one is this. If you want to find worth in the calling, is the one that makes you worthy is to love him with everything. Even unto death. 
the power of his resurrection, we see this, Paul says, this is the radical transformation that you and I face. It has transformed lives, friends. This is why you have five billion chapels every semester, is that somehow God would transform us. This is why we pray. This is why we read God's word. That's why you're in classes, that you are transformed into his likeness, because transformed lives transform churches. Transform churches will transform cultures and will transform our nation. It is not more education, even though those are good things. It is not more about money. It's not about ordination. It's about people who are called. And education and ordination and wherever you go actually affirm and confirm God's call in your life. But that's not where it starts. It starts with transformation. How are you allowing God to transform you here today? Because, my gosh, ministry is a lot of fun with when people are transformed. But it starts with you and I. It doesn't start with a church. It doesn't start with a lead pastor. It doesn't start with a board, even though those things need to happen. It starts with you. It's not your teachers. It's not your grades. Don't use that as an excuse when it comes to the finals. It's, are you transformed? You see, when we're resurrected by his power, we're not only transformed, we are transformed to newness. Our our identity changes, our character changes, our preference, motivation for life changes. We are living, walking, breathing Holy Spirit life into a selfish world like never before. And then Paul says that we carry up his sufferings, becoming like him in death. I talked about death to self and I remember talking to my parents for the first time when I felt called into ministry. I was 16 years old. I was saved just two days before my birthday in March. And then I went to uh, a camp and I felt this call of God in my life. I, I ran away from it, but it just wouldn't go away. This call to do something for Jesus. And I went to my dad and my mom and just said, hey, I think I'm called to Bible college. And I was totally misunderstood by my dad. My dad's like, Andy, that's where everyone goes where they don't know anything to do with their lives. They don't know what else to do. They don't have any talents or abilities. Like our pastor isn't really a good person. He just kind of sucks. He's just loving people. And that's all he does. You know, like this is what my dad is saying. This is my, my identity. This is who I'm raised with. And there's this call raising up in me. There's times where you'll be misunderstood because you are here. You will be misunderstood when you're sexually pure. You'll be misunderstood when you're reading the word rather than on Netflix. Hopefully you're doing that. But with Paul, he was misunderstood as well. Willing to go to death for this sake, for this cause, because of this deep love. Again, do you love Christ this way? Are you willing to forsake all? Are you being resurrected by being transformed by the renewing of your mind? You will be, unfortunately, misunderstood. But this deep love is what motivates, not calling. It's the one that makes us worthy, not the worthiness of the call. The second thing that I want to encourage you with is not just to love someone, which is God, but to love everyone. Not just someone, but everyone. We are called to love people. I wrestle with this with year one, year two youth pastors the most. They get discouraged very easily because they have these dreams and visions and these hopes for ministry. They have 
this love for ministry and they want to see things happen and then things don't happen the way they want and then they get discouraged and they're like, oh, maybe I need to go to a different church. I don't like my lead pastor or, hey, this kid threw a rock through my, to my face. I don't like him anymore. You know, like all these different stories that I get and I keep coming down to it is that your agenda as leaders is not to lead, it's to love first. You're to love everyone I'm from a small little town in Creston, BC. Anyone know where the Kootenays is? Probably not. Oh yeah, five people. So yeah, I come from the Kootenays. Every time people ask, where's Creston? I'm like, that's where Kokanee Beer is. And if you're Pentecostal, you don't even know what that means. And so in any context, I grew up in a small little town in Creston, BC. God calls me out of Creston, goes to Bible college. The first thing I did was high school assemblies for a year. And then I went to Richmond, BC. The first three students that I met at Richmond, because I grew up in a small little town, my, you know, my best friends were like Billy, Bobby, and Joey, and we would eat steak and potatoes and wings and fries dumped with gravy. But in Richmond, the first three kids that I met were Jonas, Eros, and Chody. And Chody sounds like a little rat dog's name. You know, like, so that's what I grew up with. And they introduced me to sushi, and they introduced me to bubble tea. And you know what? I started to be insecure in myself, and I thought, am I the right person in this urban center coming from this small little town that no one knows except for five people, because five people live there? And you know, what does that actually look like? And God whispers to me, and it says, Andy, it's not based on your worth. It's not based on your background. Are you willing to love people? Because people are people. It doesn't matter where you go after this. It doesn't matter where your agenda. People are people and people need love. It's that simple. It's that simple. When love is the agenda, you actually get to know people. You get to know your unique needs. You see, ministry is more than just vision and relationships and eating bubble tea, whatever, sushi. You know, it's more than those things. It's loving people to know their needs. And when you get to know their needs, you actually know how to serve them. That's what a good pastor does. You serve people. You lead through love. You don't lead through vision. Most people in leadership circles will say, and I would be one of them, you lead through vision. No, 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 you lead through love. Because that's the third thing. You will actually gain trust. When you love people, you get to know their needs. You will meet their needs. You will know how to serve them and you build trust. And I will guarantee you to some degree, because my own life shows this, is revival will actually happen when you love people. So many times I have young pastors piecing out in their minds or piecing out with their feet, walking to a different place that they think is better or bigger, rather than actually just simply loving people. Please let the agenda be love. Please. Please. I notice, um, especially in culture today, that people's BS meter in regards to Christianity is quite high. People are skeptical. People are critical. People talk to me all the time about their issues with Christianity or with God. It could be political. It could be their background growing up in the church. It could be misunderstanding. They don't read their Bible. They just watch some guy on the internet blow it up because women shouldn't be in ministry. Whatever. All these different dumb things. 
But people actually will change if they know they're loved. People will actually trust you in a skeptical, critical culture when they know the agenda is love. Not mission, not vision. And I'm just going to be very honest with you. Are you more in love with calling and mission and vision more than people? Because people will test you. Your roommates will test you. (laughs) Your teachers will test you. I'm testing you. You love the call more than the sake of the one who calls you. And it calls down to loving everybody, not just someone. It's everyone. And the last one is this. If you want to move your calling from the worthy based on it rather than the one who calls you, we're called to love someone as Christ, to love everyone as people. And the last one is to love yourself. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The hum- humane side of you. It's to love in the midst of the weaknesses, the fears, and the pains that you, f- you face. I shouldn't be in front of you today. I shouldn't be a pastor or a preacher. I'm going to make fun of myself, so stick with me. I had been in youth ministry for 17 years, and I took one youth course in Summit Pacific College. It was called Youth Communications. That's all I took. Like, I'm not saying that you should do that, but this is what I've done for 17 years. I took, I took pastoral leadership classes because I thought I'd be a pastor to adults. But I started to realize that if I actually want to make a difference, I should be in youth ministry because actually 80% of people come to Christ before the age of 18. Two-thirds of people who actually are here because you feel called at a camp conference or some type of retreat like History Maker or a summer camp. You are here because of that. And people who retain their faith for life do so because they're discipled well in their youth and young adult years. So I thought, oh, I should be in youth ministry. But I only took one course. And not only that, but I'm the chair of the youth guiding group for the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. In other words, I'm actually the national youth director. It doesn't mean anything, but I am. And then that landed me on the World Assemblies of God Fellowship that represents 300 million charismatic believers across the world with 60,000 churches. And I'm there and I have one youth course talking about how to reach and engage and lead the next generation. Where did I put my worth? It's the one who called me. The second reason why I shouldn't be in front of you today is because in grade two, I flunked grade two. I really did. It's not because I was throwing paper at the teachers or I was skipping classes or I just had a bad attitude. I actually have a speaking issue. I have a speech impediment. A learning disability. I had three speech therapists. All through grade two and grade three. And in grade two, when I was put back from all my friends, think about that for a second. When you're in grade two, you're like throwing dodgeballs at friends and you, you know, you're on the playground and you're like, hey, time out, Andy. We have, to, we have to put you back a grade because of your speech impediment. You're not with your friends anymore. It's new classes. Classes is where you hang out with friends. And this is what the speech impediment therapist said to my mom and my dad, that Andy will never be a public speaker. Never. 
professional people saying that Andy would never be a professional speaker. He'll never be able to speak in front of people. What happens is it's called clumping, where my mind goes so quick that sometimes the words that come out of my mouth, they clump. Or my grammar is really bad. You might have picked up on that. Where do you put your worth? The last reason why I shouldn't be here in front of you is because of my background. I come from a family of brokenness. I have parents that aren't together. I've had mental illness all throughout my family. I had a brother, unfortunately, take his life. It would be 17 years, December 27th. He would have been 38, December 4th. Just heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak. My whole life is about heartbreak. And yet I'm here in front of you today because of transformation. I'm not here because of mental illness. I'm not here because of my weakness. I'm not here because I put my identity in stuff that the world thinks that I should put it in. I put it in simply because it's not based, my calling is based on my worth. It's the one who has made me worthy. And so I have to simply ask a question to you. Actually, first of all, the last, what I want to share with you is please stay unworthy. Please stay unworthy. Don't put your worth on what people will say. Don't put your worth on success. Don't put your worth on what you don't think was going to happen. Don't put your worth on what church you will be in. Don't put your worth on what pastor you'll be led by or how the great education you have, because it is a great education here. But please, stay unworthy. Put your worth in the one who has made you worthy. Learn how to die to self. It doesn't happen in a minute. It doesn't happen in an instant. It happens over years. It happens every day. That's why you're here. You're here to learn how to unlearn the selfishness of culture. The unselfishness of humanity. The unselfishness that you and I face. Even in the context of religious circles. Paul had to wrestle through that 14 years of unlearning the things he learned about Pharisaic culture and the religion of the culture. Stay unworthy. Learn how to love people, please. Learn how to build trust. Learn how to know needs. Learn how to take care of the EGRs, the extra grace required. Don't send them to a different church. Don't send them to the different context. Learn how to love them. Actually, start now. Learn how to love your neighbor. Learn how to love that EGR. Don't gossip, don't judge, don't ridicule, don't demean them. Don't pastorize them. Don't spiritualize it, just love, please. Because this actually builds a great temperature climate of what you will do outside of this place. Learn to love people. Stay unworthy. Stay unworthy. And the last one is probably the most hardest is learn how to love yourself. Learn how to love yourself. Now, I'm not saying, hey, I love myself because I have really good clothes and I look jacked and whatever. Or, hey, I have, I have Billy Graham as my friend. I don't care. Like, who cares who your friends are? Who cares about your followers? It's not about that. Who cares about what your IG account is like? 
no one cares anyway. It's like playing real life in Monopoly money. Like it doesn't, it won't get there. It's not going to help you. Learn how to love yourself in the midst of the humanity. If I listened to the people in my life, I should have never been here in front of you. Hey Andy, you don't have youth ministry. Hey Andy, you have a speech impediment, learning disability. Hey Andy, your family's messed up. You probably should be messed up too. If I allowed those things to take over, then probably I would. So how do you love yourself well in closing? The first one is have healthy self-talk. 70% of what you and I listen to, 40,000 thoughts a day, are actually negative. They beat us up. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Learn how to have self, good self-talk. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a mentor. People who say to me, hey, Andy, how did you find wholeness and healing through your brother's suicide? Well, there's, for me, it was healthy activity. It was having good friends in my life. It was God's word. It's allowing the spirit to transform me and heal me when it hurt. It's taking the courage to dive deeply into your life and understanding where that negative self-talk comes from and not letting it drive you. If, it, if you don't now, it gets louder and louder in life. Believe me. And to some degree, it never goes away. But you can manage it. And you can find wholeness and healing in the midst of it. And God can use it for his glory. So I do high school assemblies. I talk about my brother every time I go to high school assemblies. I speak to hundreds, not only hundreds, but thousands of kids, students, because of my brother's reality. Because I want to try to bring glory to God through it. So understand your self-talk. The second one that I would just want to encourage you with when it comes to loving yourself is understand your weaknesses, please. We call them blind spots. If you don't understand your blind spots, they will blindside you in ministry. If you don't understand where you are weak so that you can put people around you that are strong, it will blindside you every time. And you can't blame or victimize other people or God for having it. Just understand your weaknesses and give them to the Lord. The last one is this, which is probably the hardest one. But give your fears and pains to the Lord as well. The best way I can say it is like a scar. You get cut by life. Jesus had scars. But he was whole. In the midst of the scars of life. In the midst of the scars of ministry. In the midst of the scars that you might be facing. God wants to heal you and make you whole. And transform you to, into his image. So where do you put your worth this morning? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to go into your word. And I know there's like five billion different prayers and sessions and weekends and services that we do. But Lord, we pause right now. We just pause. And Spirit of the living God, would you speak to every single one of us? If you're here in this place, and I just want to simply, just with a hand raised, this is going to be two minutes. If you're here and like, Andy, I just haven't, given everything to God yet. I haven't loved someone well enough giving everything unto death. Do you mind just raising your hand saying, hey, from this forward, more, thank you. Thank you. Just hands down. Great. You're here in this place and you got to love people.
for whatever reason you haven't. I don't know. But you're here and you're like, Andy, I'm going to love people no matter what. Is that someone here? Say, hey, I just need to learn to love. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your courage. This is your spiritual living room. We want to make it easy. Great. No judgment in the place. Awesome. You can put your hand down, dude. Last one is learning to love yourself. Understanding self-talk. Knowing your weaknesses, your blind spots before they blindside you. And finding healing in the midst of your brokenness. If that's you, do you mind raising your hand to you? Awesome. Let me pray with you. Not a simple prayer, but this is the promise. That when you put your worth, not in your calling, but the one who has called you, he will make you whole. And so Lord, we pray for every single person in this room that we wouldn't put our worth based on what other people say or what we haven't, or our unworthiness based on what people say or what we don't have. But I pray for healing and wholeness to rise in this room. I pray for leaders that would learn to love and lead by love, not by just vision. And I pray for leaders that would rise and just love you with everything. That it was worth more to them just by the surpassing knowledge of knowing you that they would forsake everything else, including ourselves and our good intentions and motivations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.